Welcome to All We Dashed, a Woodhouse podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Scott. And we are a father-daughter duo who read and analyze the works of P.G. Woodhouse. Today we're going to be talking about Leave It to Smith, which is the fourth, I would say, Mike and Smith book. But as you have seen, not a lot of Mike in this book. But it is the fourth Smith book and it is the second Blanding's Castle book book so we're 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 mixing two series i believe for the only time in woodhouse bibliography i could be wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, i know there are characters who appear in other books but this is both a blanding's castle in a smith one not just like a cameo so leave it to smith was published in 1923 it is the fourth and final smith book Although it, it is only the third that we have read. I moved Smith Journalist, as I've said in previous podcasts, because Robin um, <laughs> does not enjoy Smith, and I did not feel like punishing her too much. Thanks. So I, I felt this was a better option, although we shall talk about whether or not that is the case. But uh, Leave It to Smith was published in 1923, which was eight years after the last Smith book, Smith Journalist. Also eight years after the first Blanding's Castle book. So it's an eight-year mark in uh, the series for both of those. But again, it is also the last appearance. Readers reading a chronological order will see of Smith. But not so Robin. (laughs) So do you have any uh, comments on the book before we start going into it? Or do you, (laughs) Robin is tensing up really, by the way, Robin and I are in the same room. Now we are recording this the day after Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. last night, Robin finished the book, although it took three family members basically pushing her to finish because she was like, I don't want to. I am not exaggerating. <laughs> he, he's not. I was very whiny. <laughs> I did not want to keep reading the book. But she did finish it. So at eight o'clock at night. Yes. And I started reading it at eight in the morning. I mean, we were like, we were doing stuff in between, like cooking, <laughs> but like it did take me on and off 12 hours to read 65% of the book. It, the, the last part did seem to drag on for quite a bit for you. <laughs> There was so much Smith in the last part. I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I read Leave it to Smith before, but I read it as the second book in the Blanding's Castle book. I had not read any Smith books beforehand. So I went into this with no lo- knowledge of Smith before. And now I've gone into it after having read all the Smith books books and it has colored my perception of the book a little bit as compared to what it did then i do wonder what your view would have been like if this had been your first experience with smith i mean i still think i would have hated him do you think you would have hated him the same or do you think you probably would have given a little bit more leeway i'm not sure okay I, I'm I'm really not sure because I definitely like, know you would not like him. No, I would not <laughs> like him at all. I would still think he's a pretentious prick, but I don't know if if that was my first introduction to him. If I would, 
hate him as much. I will say, well, as we will get into, I believe in chapter two here mm -hmm. when we meet him, he is for him a bit down on his luck, which might have given you for him. No, I can see, but I rolled my eyes very hard <laughs> at that because despite being down on his luck, he's still insufferable. Yeah, just assume whenever we're talking about Smith, Robin is rolling her eyes. That's and, accurate. And Reese is also joining in on the conversation. Reese felt my pain while I was reading, and he's giving me support. Also, you're not paying attention. To That's true. I'm not paying attention to him. He's very upset about it. <laughs> Lord Emsworth is looking over his domain from his library. He's feeling sad because he has lost his glasses. The garden, although Emsworth cannot see it, is beautiful, aided by the gardener Angus McAllister, who is talked about a lot in this book. But, but we don't see him. actually make an actual appearance, although I do believe we hear Emsworth talking to him at one point, although I don't mm. think the gardener says anything. Yeah. It, oh, and the, the garden is also beautiful beautiful despite the assistance of lord emsworth uh freddie comes in and quickly irritates his father <laughs> lord emsworth tells him to go away <laughs> rupert baxter comes out of a hidden room in the library baxter like emsworth generally does wears spectacles and unlike emsworth is quite efficient emsworth asks if he's seen his glasses and baxter points out that they are hanging down his back I, I, I'm not quite sure unless he had like a chain and somehow whipped it around, <laughs> like like a necklace. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sort of like picturing. I was sort of picturing, you know, when you're when you're wearing sunglasses, you take them off and you just like have one of the the arms in your shirt. I pictured that, but on his back. Oh, I, I I'm sure he had like some chain. Sure. Considering back then and that he was oh, sure. and everything, but I don't know how it would have gotten <laughs> back there. It's during his pottering. <laughs> well, he does that a lot. So yeah. <laughs> Ellsworth starts to head to the garden, but Baxter reminds him that he arranged to go to London to pick up the Canadian poet, Miss, uh, Mr. I forgot his name. McTodd? I know it's McTodd, but I... I think it's Bruxton. Could be. I think I mentioned it somewhere later. No, it starts with an R, doesn't it? That's what I said. Ruxton. Ruxton. Do I have to make the R very enunciated? <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have done this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it turns out that this was something constant. Lord Emsworth's sister and Baxter had arranged, and somehow Emsworth has to be the one to do it. This makes Emsworth want to fire Baxter. We'll see if that takes place. <laughs> he can't fire Baxter because there's no replacement. Hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> Baxter, having left, comes back to remind him that a Miss Halliday will be meeting Lord Emsworth to discuss cataloging. Uh, Halliday. Halliday will be meeting Lord Emsworth to discuss cataloging the library, which Emsworth doesn't see any reason to it. They did it like in 1883 or something. And this book was published in 1923? <laughs> they don't give the exact year that it's set in, but it's yeah. definitely set in the early 20th century somewhere. Baxter does everything possible to guarantee Lord Emsworth will leap at the merest excuse to fire him. The what excuse? Merest. Oh, merest. Okay. Yeah, because... 
he's just irritating more than him. Yeah. Uh, section two, Constance's husband, Joe, wants to talk to her about a necklace that he feels should be put in the bag. She believes it silly to do so. Joe regrets bringing it up because he has another topic, his stepdaughter, Phyllis. Constance has a hair up her ass about Phyllis because, well, it's true. Sure, I just was kind of being a bicker about. I just was, I just wasn't expecting that phrase. Uh, because Phyllis didn't get married to the man that Constance picked out and instead married someone named Jackson. Who could that be? be? (laughs) Joe wants to give Phyllis alone. Constance has decided that because Phyllis didn't do what she, Constance, wanted, Phyllis is dead to her. And I believe Dead to Her was actually used I in think the so. book. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Well, I also wrote kind of as a side comment, we must be related to Constance somehow. <laughs> I, I didn't see that you had drank before I said I that. just, like, finished swallowing. Lord Emsworth comes in and Constance leaves, and Joe tries to get Lord Emsworth to loan the money, but he, th- he thinks Joe is trying to loan him money. And Lord Emsworth doesn't need it. Joe starts to write a letter to Phyllis, and Freddie comes in to ask to borrow a thousand quid. So that's the first part of chapter one. Almost immediately, you know, Freddie comes in to talk to Lord Emsworth, and it's noted that very few things had the power to disturb Lord Emsworth. And it says, even his younger son, the Honorable Freddie Threepwood, could only do it occasionally. And my note is just like, well, he's that talented. <laughs> I, I like how you just have this love for Freddie. I don't know why. The fact that so many people in the book are kind of like, oh, God. This guy. You know, I think it's because of that. I think it's because so many people are like, oh, fucking Freddie. That I'm just like, I love him. I, I, I just, because it's different from Birdie. Yes. Who... Birdie gets that same treatment, but we also see, well, Birdie doesn't really deserve that. Whereas with Freddie, we're kind of like, well... <laughs> I I view Freddie as even more of a lovable idiot than Birdie. Which, you can't well, tell me I'm wrong. I agree with one of those words. <laughs> I find him lovable. I, I, I do not detest him as much as apparently his own father does, but... <laughs> Look, he's just out there doing I his best. Say, Spoiler alert a little bit. Freddie does eventually improve. What do you mean? He's perfect. Then perhaps you will be upset. (laughs) There will be some point in the Blanding's Castle saga where Lord Emsworth will think that Freddie has his shit together. Lord Emsworth is not necessarily the best judge of that. I, the man is forgetful mm-hmm. and, and a little too preoccupied with his garden. Well, it's a beautiful garden. <laughs> the, the man has his things that he loves. Why don't people just let him love the things that he loves and get out of his business? He's the Lord. They're not. Back the fuck off, Constance. <laughs> you had more notes? I did. Have- <laughs> Like wasn't expecting that first one to really uh, the first one the first half word was me. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I just said fucking Freddy earlier. Oh, did you? Yeah. I missed that. I'll edit it you to can't... make the first no, F word no, me. You can't take the first F word. <laughs> I'd be who said the first F word, listeners? Hmm. 
um my other note was uh someone said that blandings was one of the oldest inhabited houses in england which i don't dispute but i did say that would be very 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 old yeah 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 i'm not saying it's wrong I mean, it is wrong. That entire era is pretty much fictional. So, <laughs> although not entirely, because Shropshire is real. Is, is real? I yeah, believe. that is a real county. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lord Emsworth left everything to Baxter, only asking to be allowed to potter in peace. And I just said, "My hero," because I would yeah. love to potter in peace. I mean, if Baxter really wanted to be in charge of everything... He is in charge of everything. He has to not be so uh, annoying about it. Yeah, that's the thing. He's annoying about it, and that's what mm -hmm. is getting on. If he just made it where he never had to have Emsworth do anything, or make mm -hmm. any decision, he could be in charge with no obstacles in his way. Yeah. But... Um, I did have a question about the glasses. Because, you know, Baxter points out that they're hanging down Emsworth's back. And my question is, like, both Beach and Freddie didn't see them? Well, I mean, I... I could understand Freddie, but Beach? I, I, I assume that Emsworth did not turn around at mm. any point. And I don't know, like, what he's, he's wearing. So, like, mm -hmm. if there was a chain it could have been mm -hmm. covered by whatever he might have around his neck. Cause you know, they always have to change her clothes. So like, yeah. Oh, I'm going to the bathroom. I have to get dressed for that. I don't think they have a special bathroom. You don't know. I'm, they just can't talk about it. Then, Considering how much I know about England in the 18 and 1900s. You don't know anything about that. You've never read anything about that before me. <laughs> I'm just loving this expression on your face. I'm just like, I read like 30 <laughs> classics this year. <laughs> Amateur. <laughs> How many have you read? I think didn't we count them oh, already? Yeah, but you have okay because of the wood houses. Yeah, but still, <laughs> I have more variety. I don't think so. I think so. It, it, the only way you could say that is like, well, look, half your classics are wood house. It's like, yes, but the amount of classics I read that weren't wood house also are comparable to the number that you've read. <laughs> And some of them are the same, not even counting the Woodhouse. Anywho. Yeah, um, that's nice. Let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another note was, you know, I think, is it Ems? No, I think it's Constance saying, like, I don't know what in the world we would do without you. Oh, that's definitely Constance. Yeah. Because uh, she's talking to Baxter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Baxter is pretty much like, he was not overwhelmed by the tribute. And my note was just like, this is why it's hard to like you. <laughs> Because he's not, he's not appreciative of anything. Yeah. I, well, the question I'm going to have later is, do you think it's easier to like him later in this book? or <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> I do like when he gets his, to his breaking point. I think it's funny. <laughs> um, there was the use of the word austere. Um, and then I had a question about Phyllis. You know how much... I have a question is such a crapshoot for me. It's like, oh God. <laughs> or it's like, is this going to be some weird sex thing? Or is this going to be some like trivia fact that I have no way of knowing and I look like a moron? No, <laughs> I just want to know. Okay, because Phyllis is Keeble's, yeah, Keeble's stepdaughter, yes. but obviously not Constance's daughter. Yes. Uh, so 
I assume based on like the timing is that he mm-hmm. had a wife previously that was her daughter. Mm-hmm. She died most likely. Mm-hmm. And so he remarried and since Phyllis apparently sorry, I don't spit. Mm-hmm. Since Phyllis doesn't have her mother and assumedly mm-hmm. her father. Yeah. She has Joe. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I was like Wait, they this is this is never touched on. Woodhouse does not really explain it, so I'm just kind of going like, yeah, lots of people die in these books off stage. Yeah, lot there's lots of widowed people, so I I imagine it's yeah, it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yes, my wife died, so I'm raising this child. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just put side eyes why oh because of jackson uh it was mentioned that phyllis married someone named jackson and i just put side eyes yeah i i think because i had already told you that he appeared in there but yeah not a lot so yeah. i assumed as soon as you saw jackson you're kind of like i did yeah yeah I um believe jackson is a name that appears much in woodhouse other than mm-hmm. in a smith book so Okay. I can't think of any offhand. Yeah. Um, with Constance talking to Keeble, she says, after what has happened, I certainly intend to have nothing more to do with her, which is essentially she's dead to me. And my note was, so you're a shitty person and step-stepmom. And step-stepmom? Wouldn't you be? I mean, I guess technically she'll be step-mom, but like yeah. <laughs> an extra step. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she is constant, so yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, I just had a crying, laughing face when Emsworth thought that Keeble was offering him money. He's <laughs> just like, no, no, I don't, I don't need any, thank you. And I'm like, that's not what was happening. <laughs> I would assume that if we had to live with Emsworth, we would probably be annoyed. But I don't know if I would be. He's just so great when you're not the one who has to <laughs> I think deal with it. I don't think I would be able to get through interactions with him without laughing <laughs> and be like, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> um, oh, I wanted to know what the difference between a super film and a super, super film was. This is something Freddie said. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, I think it's just a Freddie Okay. Uh, ranking. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just. I just put question marks. If it's not, I don't know. But that's just what I assumed when I read it. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. And I, I think you're. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I, I'm I at, think that yeah. one was probably in the next section. Freddie, having been knocked over more than once betting on horses, decides the thing. The thing to do is to be a bookie. <laughs> oh, Freddie. And he just needs the money to do so. Joe says he isn't able to do so, and Freddie is understanding of the situation, particularly since he eavesdropped on his earlier conversations and knows everything about Phyllis, Constance, and Lord Emsworth. But Freddie knows how to help both him and Joe. Oh, Freddie. (laughs) (laughs) He suggests stealing Constance's (laughs) necklace. Basically, Freddie is talking about stealing the necklace, getting insurance, buying Constance a new necklace, and using the old necklace to give money to Phyllis, pocket some cash away from Constance, and give Freddie a thousand pounds. Joe can't see himself doing it, and Freddie suggests he'd be the one to do so. Oh, Freddie. 
Freddie, taking a moment to think things out, realizes things could go terribly for him. He bumps into a table, which brings his attention to newspapers on it. He looks at one and finds an advertisement in it. It is a very Smith advertisement. I will not quote it word for word, but... It's pretentious. It, yes, it's very Smith. Freddie sits down and starts composing a letter to Smith. Freddie then goes out to the garden and finagles a ride to London, claiming he needs to go to the dentist. So I think I only have two more notes in this chapter. When, when Freddie's like, you know, I don't actually think I can steal my aunt's necklace. He said that uh, for a quarter of an hour, he was in a state of pronounced self-mistrust, or to put it with less elegance, he was suffering from an exceedingly severe attack of cold feet. And I just said love that because I love just the way it was described, like self-mistrust. <laughs> um, and then with the advertisement. <laughs> Smith includes in part of his advertisement, which is way too much and way too repetitive. Uh, <laughs> Smith says that Smith will do it. Crime not objected. Yeah. And my note was he was allowed to advertise that. Aren't there laws about what you can say? I'll go ahead and read it. Leave it to Smith. Smith will help you. Smith is ready for anything. Do you want someone to manage your affairs? Someone to handle your business? Someone to take the dog for a run? Someone to assassinate your aunt? Smith will do it. Crime not objected to. Whatever job you have to offer, provided it has nothing to do with fish. Leave it to Smith. Address applications to R. Smith, Box 365. Leave it to Smith. So, yeah, not only crimes are okay, but yeah, I will snipe your aunt. Yeah, it's like, don't I don't think you're actually allowed to put stuff like that in a newspaper. I mean, you're definitely not now. I would think even then, probably. Although, I mean, Craigslist did exist where you post, you were allowed to post all sorts of things. Yeah, but that's Craigslist. That's not, try to do it online at a newspaper i don't think well i mean i guess i'm just sort of equating you know early i mean early 1900s newspapers to craigslist yeah <laughs> i i i guess i could see well we got paid for it so yeah we'll, yeah we'll put it in there yeah <laughs> so that chapter is i believe our only chapter without smith in it yes it is Kind of giving you a false sense of security. It's like, oh, this will be fine. Yeah, you're reading it like, oh, this won't be that bad. <laughs> you have no idea <laughs> how bad it gets. And, and I will say that after this, it, it's almost difficult to call it a Blanding's Castle yeah. book. Because except for like the next chapter when like, it, Lord Emsworth is meeting with McTodd. <laughs> yeah, it's all Smith-centered. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a fan of Blanding's Castle and you haven't read this one, I'm not saying don't read it. I'm just saying just manage your expectations. <laughs> yes, I think that is, I think that's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter two, Smith is at a door and his first words are judgmental. <laughs> of course, Woodhouse judgment seems to be the same. Apparently he has something against London. The maid answered the doorbell and Smith asked if Mrs. Jackson is there. She is not. She, 
He asked the maid to let her know he had stopped by and bullies the poor girl with the tale of why his name begins with a P. Which, if you want to know why, listen to earlier podcasts. <laughs> it's a stupid reason. It's a stupid reason. <laughs> Leaving, Smith runs into Mike Jackson, his old friend. Enjoy this, because although we will be talked about later, this is all the Mike Jackson we'll be getting in this novel. It turns out Mrs. Jackson is at home, but she was hosting a tea for school pals and told the maid to say she was out. Even Mike isn't allowed in. Smith insults Mike's house, which Mike points out that's all they can afford. Smith points out he's not doing well himself. He is about to quit his uncle's business, which is the fish business. Slinging fish is not for him. Okay. Tomorrow he will go to the employment office. He shows Mike his advertisement, which Mike calls drivel. <laughs> his words have no effect on Smith, and they go to tea. <laughs> the story of their friendship. <laughs> A Miss Halliday comes to the Jackson house and is let in. Phyllis comes out to greet her, and Woodhouse describes her as someone other people want to pet, which is a weird way to describe someone. <laughs> there. He, he, said, he says that a lot, though. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They talk of the other two girls who are supposed to be coming, including Cynthia, who is married to Ralston. Oh, Ralston. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, first I thought you said Bruxton. I was like, but Ruxton doesn't. I don't name. know. It's just, it was a weird name. Yeah, Ralston McTodd. In my opinion, it's not one I'm exposed to. It, it does to. sound like the name of a pretentious poet. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Eve Halliday is as judgmental of the inside of the house as Smith was of the outside. But at least Phyllis mentions that they just moved in and hadn't had the chance to make things nice. Eve asked about Phyllis. She has been engaged to a Rolo Montford, but had eloped with Mike instead. She feels she treated Rolo horribly, but Eve suggests someone named Rolo is just asking for it. <laughs> Which is another common Woodhouse thing. Mm. Somebody's got a name, and therefore it's, it's okay <laughs> to treat them like crap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike is a schoolmaster now, which... Do not picture. Yeah, I was very confused by that. But I'm like, okay. He had been working as an agent for Mr. Smith. Soon after they married, Mr. Smith died. And they discovered that Mr. Smith was bankrupt and the land was sold. And the new owners didn't need Mike. And her stepfather, Joe Keeble, can't loan money because Constant is an ass. Eve, who doesn't know any of these people, calls Joe a worm. I, I, you, you can kind of see how people end up with people by the end of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Soon, Miss Clark, who runs an employment agency, comes in. She is a motherly type, having been an English mistress at their school. Phyllis talks about how poor she is and that she must, might stop at the employment agency. They ask about Cynthia, and Mrs. Clarkson starts crying, which makes Eve smile. <laughs> I was reading this and I was like, good God, these people are sadists. Uh, Miss Clarkson explains that McTodd has left her. Or not her, but Cynthia. <laughs> That'd be weird. Yeah. 
Uh, Miss Mrs. Clark leaves to tend to Cynthia. Eve feels bad for Cynthia, but feels talk about her is aimless, and so they talk about <laughs> Phyllis's problems. Phyllis says Mike has been offered a great opportunity and would only take three thousand pounds. If, if it takes three thousand pounds in early twentieth century England, it, it's got to be better than a great opportunity. That's yeah, a lot of money. that's a lot of money at that time. Yeah, I right. I'm not quite sure what opportunity there is that costs that much money. <laughs> Phyllis mentions that Joe and Constance live at Blanding's Castle and Eve's flabbergasted as she is going to be there cataloging the library. There's a drawback, of course, for, to going to Blanding's Castle, and it's that Freddie is there. <laughs> he wants to marry her, and she doesn't want to marry him. They had met in London, and he disappeared because of debts, making Eve think Lord Emsworth to be horrible. But Phyllis says he's a darling. Eve leaves. And Eve just has like an immediate bad impression of everybody. Mm. I'm, I'm like, I think she may be more judgmental than Smith. <laughs> he's bigger ass, but I think she's more judgmental. Eve leaves and plans to go to Mrs. Clark and says she doesn't need employment since she will go to Blanding. The maid says a Mr. Smith was there and Phyllis wanted Eve to meet him, thinking they'd be perfect. Not wrong. I mean, it also depends on your definition of perfect. <laughs> As they talk about his fish business stuff, Eve believes him to be helpless, making this probably the only time I feel offended on Smith's behalf. <laughs> When Smith runs into Mike after going to Mike's house and insulting it, um, he goes on one of his monologues. He does a Smith, got it. Yeah, about you know he, about whatever bullshit he's on. Um, sorry, but he he essentially says like la 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 can't do fish la la la. la. He says, the whisper flies around the club. Smith has not found his niche. And my note was, no one's fucking talking about you. Uh, they don't need to. You talk about yourself enough. Well, I will just say, we see in the next chapter, he's at the Drones Club. And we get lots of Drones Club tales. I don't believe Smith has ever mentioned it. No. <laughs> um, Mike, at one point, in their interaction, call Smith an ass. Yeah. Uh, and my note was, that took you way too long. <laughs> I, I believe Mike has insulted Smith before. <laughs> it, it hasn't taken, but... And then, my final note for this chapter, because it was short, Yeah, uh, was Eve saying, like, you must make something come of it. You know, the, the Constance Keeble money thing and my note was no shit sherlock that's why phyllis is bringing it up and talking to you about it <laughs> of course she needs to make something come of it i, I mean phyllis is, phyllis also doesn't have a very high opinion of her friends either i'm just like uh, i i honestly knowing what was to come in the book i'm like <laughs> so that was it okay Chapter 3 is also fairly short. Mm -hmm. Smith is at the Drones Club. Sadly, no sign of Birdie. <laughs> he notices Eve under an awning, 
protecting herself from the rain, she is, as was mentioned quite a bit in the previous chapter, impeccably dressed, although I didn't mention it, because... Who cares? <laughs> I mean, I don't. <laughs> There's way too too much talk of clothes. Well, even yeah. even for me. <laughs> uh, Smith thinks that she is rich. She is not, as she mentioned previously. So he wonders why she doesn't have a chauffeur who's able to get a cab. He goes to the cloakroom and looks at umbrellas, none of which are his. He takes one and asks the attendant whose it is. Getting the answer, he leaves with the umbrella. He says, excuse me to eat, puts the umbrella in her hand, and leaves. She goes to the employment agency to see Mrs. Clarkson, who says she has no opportunity, but Eve is there to talk about Cynthia. I only have one note. Really? <laughs> and it's Smith stole, an, uh, Smith stole an umbrella. He really isn't against committing crimes. Yeah, and of course, we will get more into that in the next chapter. It's like, Oh, you helped a woman, and now this other guy who apparently bought an expensive umbrella is going to have to walk out in the rain. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of how Smith operates, right? Like, he may be helping someone, but he's screwing over five other people doing it. <laughs> and, well, we'll get into the next chapter because how he responds to oh. his rightful... Uh, accusation of thievery. <laughs> okay, well, chapter four is also short. At the drones club, the attendant says, Mr. Walderwick. Which is a great name. <laughs> Mr. Walderwick. <laughs> uh, at the drones club, the attendant says, Mr. Walderwick was inquiring about his umbrella, the one that Smith took. Smith says he is always glad to converse with Mr. Walderwick, so of course he tries to get into a cab. But Mr. Walderwick comes up behind him. Smith is an ass to him. When Walderwick asks where his umbrella is, Smith pretends he was asking about the last word Smith had used and points out where the cloakroom is. Smith admits he gave the umbrella to a girl. Smith flummoxes him with the tail and escapes in the cab. He goes to the employment office where he is when Eve comes out of Mrs. Clarkson's office. Yeah. Um, I For this one, I really had an issue with Woodhouse's word choice. He said... I mean, he's just starting to learn how to write, so... <laughs> so, the sentence that is used in... Uh -huh. Uh, is when Walderwig is chasing after Smith. Mm -hmm. He said uh, he left the cloakroom and made for the hall where he desired the porter to procure, procure him a cab. This having drawn up in front of the club, he descended the steps and was about to enter it when there was a hoarse cry in his rear and through the front door there came bounding a pinkly indignant youth. Why couldn't Woodhouse have said at his rear and not in his rear? Well, Robin, <laughs> this was published like a hundred years ago and the phrasing probably was just I different that, that was the phrasing at that time it's such a weird mental image i, I hope you don't take this poorly <laughs> i will but between you and woodhouse when it comes to the use of language i think i'm gonna trust maybe I'm a little so bit more <laughs> the guy who published almost a hundred books i'm so offended <laughs> 
<laughs> All I'm saying is that he could have said at his rear, and I wouldn't have said anything. He said in. And well, why don't you just make it sexual, and then you'll be happy I'm, about it. I'm not making it sexual. I'm concerned. <laughs> how loud? How loud is Walter with yelling that he that Smith felt it in his rear? Like, well, I mean, it probably moved the stick up his ass. So, <laughs> is that why he's such an ass the rest of the book? <laughs> that was my only note. I really had a, an issue with that one. So, you, so you had no issue with Smith's reasoning for taking the umbrella? No, I mean, I had a lot of issues about that, but I have issues whenever Smith talks. <laughs> that would make the episode like six hours long if we were focusing on that. <laughs> this new guy, Woodhouse, he's good. Just needs to work on his language a little. I think he understands physics. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, chapter five, another short chapter. We will soon learn to miss these. The short chapters. Yes. <laughs> Smith greets Eve as Mrs. Clarkson. A lot of back and forth, and then he is told that Mrs. Clarkson is ready to see him. He dismisses the woman. Eve wonders if she should give the umbrella back, but notes it will be raining later, too. And he selflessly gifts her Walderwick's umbrella. He does admit that it is Walderwick's umbrella, but lies about the man's feelings about Smith giving the umbrella away. Mrs. Clarkson comes out and Eve leaves. Smith is a jerk to Clarkson and a bit of, per of a perv about Eve but gets around to saying you want the job. She tries to ask about his qualifications, and Smith is Smith. I think that covers it. Yep. The man talks a lot about fish. The man is a sociopath. <laughs> I mean, when you yeah. break it all down. So when Smith is talking to Miss Clarkson, he's doing, you know, like you said, his Smith thing. Yeah. Where he's, my note was, you don't get to talk in circles and then be sarcastic when people get lost. Because he's just, he's doing it intentionally. He's talking in circles and. Oh, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's a tactic that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but then, you know, Clarkson is understand, understandably lost. And then he's just a, a massive asshole about it. And I was like, no, you know exactly what you're doing. Shut the fuck up and go die in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I kind of enjoy Mike. Mike just listens and goes, okay, shut up. And then... <laughs> well, and then... Oh, and then this page, you know, where it's just, just a wall of text um, really slowed my reading down. Um, he is talking about fish too much. Um, well, apparently the fish just really affected him. To be fair, I, if I had to work with fish, I'd be like, you know what? This sucks. <laughs> sure. So I, I just showed Dad. I read this on my Kindle, and there were certain points when Smith is smithing and monologuing. <laughs> that, well, that should be our way to do it. Like when we say cricket happens, we could just go Smith, Smith. <laughs> yeah. It on the Kindle, it just it presents us just a wall of text. That's and all his dialogue, That right? was all his dialogue. And so I highlighted just a random sentence, and I just wrote, Chandler, shut up, dot gif. 
<laughs> and if anyone is confused, R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, if anyone is confused, I dare you to Google it, and then you will understand. <laughs> no, I, I immediately understood that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anyone hasn't seen Friends, um, oh, even if you haven't seen Friends, if you're on social media, yeah, I'm sure you've seen, seen that. Yeah. But I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, that you showed that, and that was at least a full page of just dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So that was those are my notes. Okay. <laughs> this is my story. It's just me yelling at Smith. Okay. So chapter six, Smith picks up responses to his advertisement, which are for the most part a disappointment. He opens Freddy's, which wants Smith to meet him and exchange silly code phrases. <laughs> also, Smith is to wear a pink chrysanthemum just because Woodhouse wants me to try to pronounce that word. Chrysanthemum. Did I? I didn't get it. Mm -mm. Oh well, that thing Robin said. <laughs> yeah, it's even kind of spelled like that. And I still messed it up. Smith tries to do the code on several different men, which that sounds like a bad sentence, sir. <laughs> he's With... <laughs> trying to pick them up. <laughs> it's gonna like rain my, in Northumberland. Like flower. <laughs> Uh, with various results, including one trying to hit him up for money, Freddie finally comes up to him and uses both code phrases. It turns out that Freddie was looking for a carnation, not what he asked for. <laughs> Freddie has to get to his train soon, so he tries to hurry, but is not particularly successful. Freddie talks about how he is trying to raise a thousand quid, and Smith thinks he's touching him. Not like that, Robin. He finally says he wants. Use to a different phrase. <laughs> I can't be blamed. I blame you. Nope. <laughs> you can be blamed. I did it. He finally says he wants Smith to steal his aunt's necklace. Smith tries to get more info, but Freddie tries to leave for the train. <laughs> Look, he has to catch his train. <laughs> Smith tries again, and Freddie says he'll write to him. Smith decides to go to a club for lunch. Although he is poor, he still has memberships at some of the clubs, at least until fees are due at the beginning of the year. He decides to go to the Senior Conservative Club, which sounds like a party. <laughs> <laughs> Smith is digging into his food when Lord Emsworth bumps into his table and apologizes. He has lost his glasses again. <laughs> There's a young man with him. After they leave, Smith asks a waiter about who that was and gets the answer. The waiter looks uh, the info up and also mentions that the young man was Ralston McTodd. Uh, McTodd has gotten over his joy at dining with an earl after discovering how absent-minded Emsworth is. McTodd likes being the center of attention, and he is unable to do so with Emsworth, who is still airing his grievances about his gardener. Emsworth hasn't really seen McTodd as he has lost his glasses. He is also ready to get out of London, which he cares little for, it not being his garden. <laughs> McTodd is just waiting for cigars to be ordered so he can at least enjoy that. And Emsworth has forgotten about ordering cigars. <laughs> a waiter comes with Emsworth's glasses. He is happy and spies a new florist shop across the street. <laughs> He sees the possibility might tip the scale in his hollyhock battle with his gardener and forgets about his guest. 
forgets about him so quickly that he leaves him to go to the florist. <laughs> At which point, Smith asks McTodd if the seat is taken. It is not. McTodd rails for a bit and then says he is going to leave, and he does. Emsworth has a delightful talk with the florist, and it's 15 minutes before he remembers his guest. <laughs> See, this is where it's like, I love him, but mm -hmm. it'd be a pain to live with him. Yeah. Going back, he faintly remembers where he was sitting and so assumes the young man there was his guest. He apologizes to Smith. Woodhouse pointed out that a nice-minded young man would correct the issue, but acknowledges there might be some defect in Smith. It, it's nice for Woodhouse to finally acknowledge that. <laughs> Lord, em Lord Emsworth affirms that he thinks Smith is McTodd and a poet. The waiter comes to tell Lord Emsworth that Miss Halliday is there to see him. Smith thinks that this is the moment to take his hat and leave, not yet knowing who Miss Halliday is. He, see, he sees Emsworth come in with Miss Halliday and insist on joining them. However, by the time he gets to where they were going, both had disappeared. He finds Lord Emsworth at the floors, and Emsworth tells him about his ticket for the train. Smith says he would be delighted and finds out that Eve will be coming the next day. So the uh, responses to his advertisement that Smith gets. Yes. He gets like seven, I believe. Sure. Six or seven. Yeah. Number five proved to be a circular from an energetic firm of coffin makers offering to bury him for eight pounds ten. And my note was, please do. I wonder how many notes are you just going to be grievances against Smith? A lot of them. I'll tell you, like I'll tell you that right now. A lot of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> when he meets, I, I don't even know if he's met Freddie at this point. No, he he met Freddie the last it, chapter. No, hold hold on. That wasn't what I was saying. I'm talking out loud. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how podcasts work. <laughs> 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 hey, welcome to the Science Podcast. We will not be talking for the next hour and three minutes. <laughs> Thinking out loud is what I meant. <laughs> At the beginning of this chapter, yes. before Smith had met Freddie, because he went to the hotel, yeah. which is where I was leading into this, um, Smith sort of thinks that between the chrysanthemum that should have been a carnation and Freddie not mentioning how Smith could recognize him, he said that Freddie seemed like a rollicking slapdash conspirator. And my note was like, well, yeah, because it's Freddie. <laughs> like, obviously he doesn't know that, but yeah. And when Smith and Freddie are finally talking, Smith is smithing, and Freddie literally says, I say, old thing, you couldn't talk a bit less, could you? I've only got about two minutes. And I said, I love you more and more each day, Freddie. <laughs> I also decided that I did not like McTodd uh, because he. Well, had, I don't think you're in. I, yeah, I don't think you're supposed like to. <laughs> but he had, he had very rude thoughts about Lord Emsworth in a yeah. butter dish. And so I. I Point, I yeah, said I felt rude. Defensive yeah, I was like, look, he's just a silly old man. He didn't even <laughs> want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Let him appreciate his flowers. But I did appreciate McTodd's attempt to sort of 
circle the conversation back around to cigars. He did try. He, he tried a couple of times. My favorite was when he tried to claim, you know, I heard tobacco smoke is good for roses. And I just put a crying <laughs> laughing face because I really don't think that's true. <laughs> Someone can correct me, but I'm fairly certain that's not true. Uh, I also had a note about how Emsworth, you're so delightful. <laughs> that was just that was just kind of it. <laughs> Wasn't specific to anything. I mean, he he said something about a vague idea came into his head that the other had grown a bit in his absence, but it passed because Smith does not look like McTodd. And I was just like, "You're so delightful." Yeah, but let's be fair. He one, he wasn't wearing his glasses, and he, yeah. he got his glasses. He probably wouldn't even have noticed what McTodd looks like anyway. Yeah. Uh, when Smith acknowledged to himself that if he was a nice-minded young man, he would have corrected Emsworth, I just said, huh. And, <laughs> Wonder what he's going to do. <laughs> and when Smith also acknowledged it was his guiding rule in life always to avoid explanations, I said, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it, it's nice that we finally get that. Yeah, that's what he means to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, again... It makes me still wonder why Mike is friends with him. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chapter 7. Smith is on the train with Lord Emsworth and sees no sign of McTodd. Lord Emsworth talks about how he can't stand poets, having forgotten Smith is supposedly one of them. Smith is able to ascertain that no one at Blandings knows McTodd personally. Oh, he threatens Emsworth with poetry, so Emsworth decides to take a nap. Smith takes out the book of McTodd's poetry he had bought so that he isn't caught unawares. Lord Emsworth starts snoring, so Smith moves to another compartment. The person there starts snoring too, so Smith rakes a suitcase to fall on the snore soon enough, and it does, waking him up. It turns out to be Freddy. I'm just like... I don't know, just jostle him a little or something. Or go somewhere that is <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> like, he invaded someone else's compartment. And then he has a suitcase basically drop on his gut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Freddie is nervous seeing Smith. He had missed the 12.15 train and had also missed the 5 o'clock train. Uh, almost was, missed the yeah. 5 o'clock train. He had been to see a movie about blackmail that had made him lose track of time and which had brought the thought of being blackmailed to mind. Smith just started to talk to Freddie when Emsworth comes by and talks to Smith. However, he sees Freddie is and it is shocked. Unwilling to chastise Freddie in front of a guest, he asks if they know each other, to which Smith says they do not. Lord Emsworth leaves to talk to a friend, the owner of the dog who had woken him up by licking his face. It's Smith asks Freddie, after explaining how he came to be known as McTodd, why he wants Smith to steal a necklace. Freddie starts to explain about Joe and his stepdaughter Phyllis, who is married to someone named Jackson, and Smith listens without interruption, which was weird. Smith explains he is friends with Mike, so he will do the theft for no charge. As they get close to Blandings, Lord Emsworth talks with passion about the trees and flowers <laughs> in anguish about the gardener. They meet Constance and Miss Peavy, a poetess, which is a weird-sounding word. Yeah, just a poet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have it written that way a few more times in here, but... 
They both say they are glad that he was able to come, quote unquote, after all. Which, come on, Smith. I mean, you're supposedly smart. That should make you go, hmm. Baxter comes to them and is immediately suspicious of Smith. PBS Smith for an autograph. Baxter tries to form Baxter tries to force more info from Smith, but both Smith and PB denounce him as unspiritual. Baxter and Lady Constance talk about McTodd and how they thought he would not be coming because of a curt note he had sent saying so earlier. Baxter thinks very hard about this. So my first note is really more of a inside comment to myself. No one else is probably going to appreciate it. But I just read Little Women last month. Okay. And there was mention of Pilgrim's Progress yeah. in it a lot. Yeah. And it's also mentioned in this chapter. Okay. And so I sort of just highlighted it. it was, and I just said, hey, Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> well, that will mean a lot to people who have read both Little Woman and Leave it to Smith within a short period of time of each other. Yeah, I'm sure there's many, <laughs> many of yeah. us. Um, I also, this is the second chapter in a row where I called Smith a son of a bitch. Is it the last? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then when Smith meets Lady Constance, uh, I had I had to highlight the description. Lady Constance conveyed the impression that anybody who had the choice between stealing anything from her and stirring up a nest of hornets with a short walking stick would do well to choose the hornets. And my note was, that's the vibe I would love to give off. <laughs> And then someone, oh, Miss Peavy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I really didn't know who it was. Miss Peavy gave a, a sort of ladylike shimmy. <laughs> and, and I just said, LOL, because I, I didn't know what that meant. But the mental image in my head was funny. But, I mean, I know what a, a shimmy is, but I, know I don't know what a ladylike shimmy yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I know. I <laughs> guess I just sort of assumed all shimmies were ladylike. I mean, but... yeah, because. I can't imagine a gentlemanly shimmy. Yeah. So I just I just said LL because <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> at breakfast, Baxter announces that Miss Halliday will be arriving that day at three. Emsworth has of course forgotten who Miss Halliday is. Smith says he knows Miss Halliday and is looking forward to seeing her, which has an effect on both Baxter and Freddie. Although Smith doesn't see this. <laughs> What else seems to be making a point this book that Smith isn't quite as clever as he thinks he is. Lord Emsworth suggests that Smith should pick her up. The Earl goes to look at his flower and Smith says he shall accompany him. Freddie chastises Smith about saying something to Peavy about wearing his hair shorter. Freddie also thinks Baxter suspects something, which Freddie's more on the ball here than <laughs> Smith is right now. Smith doesn't think much of it. Freddie says... He also thinks the new housemaid is a detective. And mm. just like, by the time you get to the end of the book, I think your opinion of Freddie should both should both go up and maybe go down. <laughs> so it should say the same. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, he caught Susan, the housemaid, sweeping under a bureau, which is apparently a no-no. <laughs> I what? It's just so thorough. I, what? I I don't get that, but okay. I'm going to assume that's just, yeah, some like, no real maid would clean. 
<laughs> How many people do you know that clean under their bureau or closet or whatever? I mean, yeah, we don't because we're not maids. <laughs> if you could have somebody else do it, yeah, be like, yeah, clean to the finest detail. <laughs> Whereas, oh, I got to do it? Nah. I, I looked at it. That's good enough. <laughs> Uh, Smith suggests the best way to see if she's a detective is to kiss her. Now we're going into birdie land here. Yeah, Smith is just not on the ball during the first part of this novel. I wish he stayed that way. <laughs> Freddie says he wants Smith to put, a, put in a word for him with Miss Halliday. She just laughs at him when he proposes. That's... I'm like, well, that's kind of mean, but also if you propose that much, maybe I can understand. <laughs> Smith picks up Eve and explains that since they are such good friends, Lord Emsworth suggested that he pick her up. They go back and forth with Smith being charming, or at least what I believe he feels is charming. She's a little nervous about the size of the place. She thinks Lord Emsworth is a deer, and of course she knows Freddie. Smith feels since she knows him, there's no reason for him to discuss him, even though he had previously said to Freddie that if the topic of him came up, he would prop up Freddie. <laughs> if you had known who you were talking to, Freddie. <laughs> Smith has decided how she will spend her time, and like any woman, she is naturally resistant to what he wants. <laughs> if only she would continue to be that way. <laughs> In fact, she almost immediately does what she had said she wouldn't do, and the two of them run into Freddy kissing the housemaid. My only note in that section is Eve straight up says, I think you're terribly conceited. And that was the only time that I said Eve had good taste. <laughs> yeah, but not good enough, apparently. <laughs> All right. Even Smith leave, and Smith makes tepid excuses for Freddie without disclosing it was he who suggested Freddie kiss Susan. Also, knowing about Susan by the end, it's like, what? Why? What? Why was she letting herself be kissed? But I guess because she probably knows about that trick. Detective, that yeah, she knows about that trick. Oh, I'm sorry, I did spoil that she's a detective. But if you're listening to this, you're gonna get spoiled on everything anyway. So <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> Wow. I smithed it. You you really did. <laughs> like, way to turn it around on them. Uh, Smith takes his time to tell her that Freddie loves her and wanted Smith to push him on her. Now that Smith is, Smith is clear, she isn't interested. Eve says she is going to report to Baxter. Smith points out he's in the library and she says she isn't going to shout at him. So Smith picks up a flower pot and throws it through the window. Which I know precursors something else later in the novel, but that's. But it also doesn't specify if the window was closed or not. I I assume that it was open. I assume that because as well. If he threw it through a, a closed window, <laughs> I think that would have caused more ruckus than sure even Smith was aiming for. Baxter comes out. Baxter asks if Smith threw the flower pot. Asked three times, actually, with Smith refusing to answer and doing his talking over thing. Smith takes his leave, saying he wants to meet Eve at the boathouse in a little more than six minutes. She says she won't. He ignores this. 
Lord Emsworth comes out and after a moment recognizes Eve. He introduces her to Baxter, who says Mr. McTodd had already introduced her to him after throwing a flower pot at Baxter. Emsworth almost immediately switches it in his head that Baxter threw the flower pot at McTodd and wonders how he got a flower pot in the library. <laughs> I, I don't think that this is Emsworth being absent-minded. I think this is his own mind turning everything he can yeah. against Baxter. Yeah, it's his own prejudice against Baxter. Yeah. He's just, his mind goes, no, it's Baxter that did the thing wrong. Yeah, Baxter <laughs> did something wrong. Eve asks if Baxter said Smith was McTodd. Emsworth, in his own way, acknowledges that he is McTodd, and Emsworth likes him despite him being a poet. Baxter throwing flower pots at him is definitely wrong. <laughs> Eve is displeased since she believes Smith is the McTodd who left her friend Cynthia. Although she and C Cynthia haven't actually seen each other in quite a while, she feels very loyal. Hmm, do you? <laughs> that is until she sees Smith, and then she thinks, hey, there might be faults on both sides. I'm starting to see how she and Smith might be made for each other. <laughs> they go rowing, even though she was supposed to be doing work. <laughs> she tells him that she had just found out his name and was shocked by it. She tells him that she was at school with Cynthia. He finds himself at a loss for words, a moment we should cherish. <laughs> she mentions there must have been a reason he married Cynthia, which causes him to miss a bit with an oar and send water into her lap. She says she is devoted to Cynthia, but that she also likes him. I don't know why. Smith has the opportunity to come clean, but instead says that he and Cynthia are divorced. He says there are things that cannot be forgiven, such as throwing the breakfast bacon at him. Well, still in the dish. Also, she kicked the cat. <laughs> These are all things he's saying about Cynthia, Phyllis's friend. A woman he has never met. Yes. <laughs> Eve protests that Cynthia had always been the kindest person. Smith says that was before she started drinking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like, you can really see Smith scrambling there. <laughs> I understand that this all works out for him in the end, but it's hard to believe he doesn't see the possibility of this blowing up in his face. Yeah. Because this is like the worst maybe that he's done? Mm, I guess. Yeah. I mean, but of course, you know, like the Roadrunner, nothing ever blows up in his face. <laughs> Freddie comes into Smith's room, and after Smith lathers on, Freddie says he talks too much. <laughs> he says Smith needs to go because the game is up. Baxter talked to Freddie, and since Freddie was the only other able-bodied man, said they should prepare to tackle Smith. Freddie points out the real McTodd sent a telegram, and he also keeps, uh, Baxter also keeps all the letters they received so that he was able to compare Smith's autograph for Peavy to a letter from McTodd. Baxter believes Smith is there to steal the necklace, which he is. But how is this the only thing of value yeah. in the, the castle? Like, four or five different people are like, I'm going to steal this necklace. Like, oh, how like, do you know about it? <laughs> and it's like, okay, people know about it. I can accept that. Sure. But how is that the 
only thing. Yeah, it's a. She has to have other jewelry. There has to be other valuable things. Plus, it's a castle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> I I think sometimes Woodhouse just gets. Well, mm -hmm. jewelry is just one of his favorite things for people to steal. Sure, that and children. <laughs> sure. Uh, the reason Smith hasn't done anything yet is he felt Smith would wait until his accomplice arrived, and Baxter believes the accomplice is Eve. Smith says he does not need to run. So, in this section. Um, you know, Smith throws a flower pot at Baxter. Yes. As far as we know, he doesn't hit him. But my thought, and probably... I, I think if he had hit them, Baxter would have... Sure. <laughs> my thought, and probably Eve's as well, when this happened, is why? Yeah. Why is your first instinct to grab a flower pot and throw it into a house? That's one of those, one, okay, I guess it's Humorous a mm -hmm. little, but also you then you get Emsworth flipping of mm -hmm. it. And then of course it also sets up what happens in a later mm -hmm. chapter. But yeah, the original I mean if the window's open, well, you or I would probably do it, but yeah. Smith would just say, Yo! <laughs> um I also when Emsworth is saying, like, oh, my memory is excellent as a rule, but I cannot remember names. My note was, don't lie. <laughs> His memory is... Does, does he know he's lying? <laughs> I mean, no, but <laughs> he does later admit he has trouble remembering something else, and I was like... But he couldn't remember that. He couldn't remember, <laughs> yeah. Um... And then when Emsworth says, I won't have Baxter throwing flower pots at my guests, I said, well, that's only good manners. Yeah, yeah that, I think that's fair. Um, when later, when Smith is with Eve and, you know, coming up with his horrible lies about Cynthia. Really, really evil lies. Uh, he said, well, he thought, Smith ceased to wonder what Mr. McTodd had had trouble with Oh, that Mr. McTodd had had trouble with his wife. The woman was a perfect pest. I was like, you don't know her! Or she is a perfect pest to him because her existence as McTodd's wife mm -hmm. is harshing his mellow. <laughs> yeah. And then I also highlighted just him actually admitting to a mistake, although only to himself, where he said that he he thought that he had made a tactical error in underestimating the antagonism of the efficient one, which I like that title for Baxter as the efficient one. Smith attempts to talk Eve out of, it, out of doing what she's being paid to do. She refuses. He says he wants to see her after she is done. It's like, I mean, in his own way, kind of acting like Freddy. Mm. He's pushing his advances when the woman has said, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he looks at the book he has been lent by Freddy, The Man with the Missing Toe, and refuses to read it, once again showing he's a wrong one. I mean, if I got a book called The Man with the Missing Toe. I want to know how his I'm toe is missing. Book. Why, why is his toe missing? Yeah. What's going on? 
was it missing at the beginning of the book or, or did it happen during the course of the book yeah <laughs> uh smith stayed behind while almost all the others had gone to a memorial a person shows up the man asks if lord emsworth is around he says he is ralston mctodd <laughs> i will say my because that's my first note for this that section uh -huh. i just wrote out laughing i just said <laughs> because at first i didn't realize that it wasn't mctall oh yeah you thought it was actually i thought he changed his mind and i was like oh that's funny and i was like oh i still think it's still funny i still think it's funny but not as funny because yeah. smith doesn't get screwed over Smith asked the stranger, what is a pale parabola of joy? Which is from one of McTodd's poems. Pretty much guaranteeing I don't want to read it. And it's the only line yeah. of the poem well, that Smith read. Woodhouse probably is like, I need to write some, a pretentious line of poetry. And I don't want to write it anymore. So I'm just going to keep referring to this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think he did write some poetry, but... Mm -hmm. Oh, that was you. <laughs> the man is confused. Smith points out that he knows McTodd. The man, Coots, had met McTodd himself before he was to go to Blandings, and after he had decided not to, he had seen McTodd head off to Paris. Smith talks Coots into leaving. He also doesn't mention that he is there impersonating <laughs> McTodd. At about the same time, PB is returning. I don't know why Woodhouse would mention this. What's that got to do with anything? Boots <laughs> is feeling pretty down. Until recently, he had been working with a partner, most commonly known as Sharp Lizzie, as a card sharp, and she as his de decoy, mainly working on ships. Their relationship had blossomed, and they were about to get married until an argument, and she left. With her left his luck, and his last journey had ended up with a mark biting off the tip of his finger and basically ending his card sharp career. He admits to himself that Lizzie had been the brains of the operation. Miss Peavy is walking back, for she had a headache and certainly didn't feel like listening to Lord, that she certainly felt that listening to Lord Emsworth wouldn't have helped. Her headache has left, and she begins to sing a song that would have been a surprise to the other members of Blanding's Castle. She stops singing when she sees another person. It's Coots. They call out each other's names, and she gets dizzy. Um, my only notes after the, the laughing at Smith was trying to guess who Lizzie was when it was first mentioned. Yeah. Um, because I originally thought that it was Susan. Yeah, that you get kind of pushed like, mm -hmm. oh, there's something mm -hmm. wrong about that. But she also really isn't presented as a character up to now, except for the fact that Freddie kissed her. So she yeah. didn't really make her presence known. Yeah. Um, and so a little bit later when, it, you know, yes. I was trying, I was like, did you talk about that? Uh, when it's acknowledged that it's Miss Peavy is Lizzie, uh, I, I just said, ah, oh, damn, because I was wrong. <laughs> Miss Peavy speaks to Eddie, as she called him, with affection. She embraces him. They talk, and he displays his finger. He talks about the bad luck he had earlier that day, but moves on and asks what she's doing there. 
she talks about a necklace. Eddie explains he was after the necklace too, but got caught almost immediately. He explains how he's going in as Ralston McTodd, and she says, he's already there. Eddie says he met the man she described, and that's not McTodd. She says that Eddie has to get Smith to invite him there as a friend and makes a plan for how Eddie can talk to him. Smith and Peavy are walking together, and he looks for a way to get away. After they walk far enough, she says that he looks tired and that he should go rest. Coots steps out with a gun. Smith asks what Coots' intention is. Coots must also deal with a beetle he has gotten down the back <laughs> of his shirt, which is another Woodhouse trope. There are so many beetles that get in people's shirts. I'm like, I don't know, cinch that a little bit tighter. <laughs> Coots tells him the plan, but Smith says acting like Coots is his friend won't work. I like how he insults Coots <laughs> while he has a gun on him. Just like no one will believe we're friends. <laughs> Which, I mean, he's not wrong. Sure. Smith sees Beach, the butler, and introduces Coots as his valet. Beach takes Coots off and comes back, and Smith asks Beach to have Coots to return his gun to Smith. Beach brings the gun to Smith. I don't know why Coots just didn't say, oh, I don't have a gun. <laughs> or, or something. Yeah. Coots comes to Smith, not very happy about being relieved of his gun. He says as Smith gets the necklace before him, he will use his position as valet to search his room. Not a very wise thing to give away, but PV is the brains of the operation. Coots leaves, and he will reflect on that later himself. Smith tells Beach he needs someplace solitary to write his poetry. Beach tells him there is an unoccupied gameskeeper's cottage he can use. I believe, I don't know if it's that exact gameskeeper uh, cottage, but this cottage or one similar plays part in several mm -hmm. Landing's Castle books. Smith also asks him to prod Coots in the rib and say, ah, which. <laughs> Okay. Um, when Smith, <laughs> I was so used to thinking it was that fucker. Um, when Smith <laughs> and Coots are talking, uh, you know, and, and Coots has the beetle in his shirt. My comment was that it, it's hard to be a big scary criminal with a beetle on your back because he's like, well, yeah, when you're like, like uh, slapping uh, himself in the. Listen here, pal. <laughs> and you know, Smith sort of points out like you did you stop me at pistols point to watch you go through swedish exercises because he's like trying to hit the beetle on his back <laughs> um so i was like yeah the, the, the beetle is kind of ruining your street cred um there's also the use of austere again <laughs> and uh i ended the chapter with just saying poor beach uh just because of his stomach issues. I, I really feel for him. Yeah. Well, Beach will play a larger part in uh, subsequent Blanding's Castle novels. And he won't quite be the same Beach that we're used to in these first two novels. Mm -hmm. But he's a more interesting Beach, I think. So, But he also doesn't really play too large a part in this novel. Yeah. Chapter 10. Turns out Peavy, in addition to being a thief, is also a poet 
and had actually published six volumes of poetry under her name. She walks alone as no one cares for her company, which she is fine with, and wonders what happened to Eddie, as she hasn't seen him since the day she sent Smith back to him. He calls out to her and explains how he is now in the house. She says that McTodd is giving a reading that night. By McTodd, she means Smith. She says that she will be sitting behind Constance and lift the necklace and that the lights will be off when she does so, as Eddie will cut the power. While everyone is panicking in the dark, PB will throw the necklace out the open window where Eddie will get it. Okay, I sure don't think that's necessarily would make her the brains of the operation. <laughs> throw the necklace out the window. Brain power. <laughs> Eve asks Baxter for the afternoon off. He grants it, and as she is leaving, she runs into Freddie, who she feels is probably going to propose again. She says she has to go, and offers he offers to walk her to the gate. He does propose, and she finds it quite annoying. She points out that he can't marry a girl without money if he doesn't have any money himself. He explains that Joe is going to give him money and tells her about the bookie thing. Way to keep it under your hat there, Freddie. Eve is very upset at the thought that Joe will give him money, but none to Phyllis. In town, she runs into Joe, who has received a distraught letter from Phyllis. Eve asks him why he can't help Phyllis if he can give 2,000 pounds to Freddie. Joe panics, thinking Freddie has told her everything, but it is he who ends up letting the info about the necklace slip. Eve asks him to tell her what's going on, and he starts to explain. Smith has found out that he is to read poetry that night. He reflects on how much he likes Eve. It, oh, it seemed to him that in addition to being beautiful, she brought all that was best in him of intellect and soul. That is to say, she let him talk oftener and longer than any girls he had ever known. That That is the exact quote. That, from- that is the exact <laughs> wording that is used. I'm just like, yeah, I see why you like her. If you can talk about yourself, yep. He sees Eve and starts to talk to her. She is cold. She tells him that she went to see Cynthia that afternoon. Cynthia, Cynthia said her husband was in Paris and had asked her to come to him. Eve pointed out Smith to Cynthia, and she said she had never seen him before in her life. Smith explains the only reason he came there was to be near her and that he merely took advantage of Lord Emsworth's mistake. Merely. Baxter calls Smith in to read poetry. Eve stays outside and thinks. As she does so, the lights go out and something lands at her feet. She picks it up. It is the necklace. Who didn't see that plan going awry? (laughs) Eve sees a flower pot with white paint on it. Smith had knocked it over in the previous chapter, but I didn't really note that. Sure. (laughs) She puts the necklace in there, knowing she will be able to recognize it later. Two minutes later, Mr. Coates burst onto the scene too late to get the necklace. Mm -hmm. Um, My first note in this chapter was that I would just love to know how McAllister interacts with Emsworth. Uh, I I said, I, I think we saw a little bit in something fresh, but he's not in this book um and so i'm like i just want to i just want to know how they interact (laughs) because emsworth is like doesn't think highly of him we we do get interactions in i 
don't know that we get them in novels, but I know there's at least one story uh-huh. in which there's a lot of interaction between the two of them. And I'm sure he shows up again in novels, but I don't really recall any big interaction. Yeah. But of course, the garden is always a priority yes. for Emsworth, at least until the pig comes along. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I also um, made a note just about Freddy. Um, it may, the most of my comments in this chapter are about Freddy interacting with Eve. I'll just, it's not a long scene, but it's it's gold. Um, Freddy says, "When it comes to the smooth stuff, old girl, you're the oyster's eye tooth." And my comment was, yes, women love being compared to oysters. <laughs> I'm just like, good good job, Freddie. I wonder why she won't accept your proposal. Wow, I feel so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oysters are not attractive. Um, I also, she, Eve tries to change the subject by asking about his putting. Golf? Yes. Yes. Um, but I misread it as pudding. <laughs> like you're you're putting something on I a shelf. I'm gonna make it dirty. This no, so much better. <laughs> no, I misread it as like you're putting something on the shelf. And oh, put! I thought you said pudding. No, putting. No, I still prefer pudding. <laughs> <laughs> that to me, that's what you said. I'm I'm sticking with that. No, so I was just like, you know, she's asking about it. His putting but i read pudding you told me you would so how it's about sports and you're just like i do not recognize that term yeah <laughs> well it, it just can't come out of nowhere there's no mention of golf and, and then it comes up again it it does golf. yeah <laughs> um she's like you're putting you told me you had so much trouble with it but i was still misreading it <laughs> and it, it took me a solid minute <laughs> and can i just put a note read this as put in at first and was very confused. <laughs> um, I also had a, oh, Freddie, when he says that he worships the very ground you walk on and all that sort of rot. And I mean, all, all that. And I was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't call your, you know, loving feelings rot. <laughs> um, and then later when Smith is, you know, I don't even know. Idealizing Eve. Mm-hmm. Uh, he acknowledges he liked the sound of his own voice. And I just said, yeah, no shit. <laughs> this book kind of makes me think that Woodhouse was kind of in love with Smith and then he just got kind of tired of his shit. How <laughs> <laughs> <About> time. <laughs> because this book, he, he kind of rags Smith a little bit. Yeah. And then we never get Smith again. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, and then, you know, Smith says, that is to say she let him talk oftener and longer than any girl he had ever known. And I said, oh, so that's why you like her. And later when he's actually talking with her, he tries to say that he's like an acquired taste. And he's like, you probably did not like olives when you first had them. And my note was, you are worse than olives. I was like, um, which 
Which one is worse at the worse at the smooth talk? Him or Freddie? Yeah. <laughs> that's a real battle. The, yeah, that's that's a real real question. <laughs> I don't know. Baxter calls for Susan. It turns out that Susan is a detective that Baxter hired to keep an eye on a necklace. Jesus Christ, if this necklace is that precious. Put it in a bank. Constance is dumber than Emsworth for not putting it in a bank. I'm kind of picturing it as the heart of the ocean from Titanic. Lovely senior citizen. Dreaming about dick she got 60 years ago. Longer than that. That's what she said. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they talk about what happened. She says McTodd had to have partners and Baxter points out that he was talking to Eve before coming to do poetry and Susan says Coot seems to have no idea what a valid is. Susan knows McTodd has got the cottage to hide the necklace in but won't have been able to do so yet. Baxter hears a noise and goes to investigate. The noise was Eve crashing into a table on the way to retrieve her flower pot. She goes out and Baxter hears her rustling. Baxter starts to descend the stairs, but steps on a golf ball of Freddy's and so descends rather quickly. <laughs> he switches on the light, which surprises Eve, who is outside. Baxter runs out onto the terrace, suspecting that is where the thief is. Eve is able to see where he is going by the color of his pajamas, which are lemon yellow. What's Seems to be a mortal sin. After reading that, I just had to picture it for a while, and I couldn't move on for a little bit. Um, she sneaks back in, and Baxter later comes back to find the lights out and the doors locked. Baxter stands under a window and tries to whistle and is unable to get anything out. See, I just feel bad for Baxter right now. Yeah. He, I don't always feel bad for him, but I just feel bad for him here. Baxter decides that the necklace is in one of the flower pots. He really should become a detective or something because <laughs> he's better than Pillbeam. And this would have been true if he had been there a little bit earlier. He starts breaking them. He finds nothing. Now all he wants to do is go to bed. He throws pebbles at the windows, which gets no results. So he decides to try a flower pot. It is only after the third flower pot comes into his room that Lord Emsworth wakes. He sees the flower pot and is confused, so he decides the best course of action is to go back to sleep. However, another flower pot crashes into the wall. As he goes to see what's happening, he recalls the event of Baxter throwing flower pots out the library. Not the way it happened, but it is Lord Emsworth. He looks out the window and sees Baxter. Emsworth goes to Smith and asks if he can go downstairs and get Baxter to stop throwing flower pots and go to bed. By the time Smith has dressed and come down, sleep has taken Baxter. Smith prods him to wake him up and then talks to him in the most Smith way possible. I am no great fan of Baxter, but I would be okay if he split Smith in two. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what Smith said, but it 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 was Smithy, so it had to be annoying. Emsworth asked what Baxter was digging for, and Baxter said he was looking for Constance's necklace. 
which Emsworth doesn't know much about since he had gone to bed before the events in the drawing room. He thinks Baxter is mad and that he must get rid of him. Emsworth goes back to bed while Smith realizes there must have been another flower pot, although he suspects Eddie. Eve falls asleep and wakes up to find her flower pot gone. So I comment, all I said when Susan was revealed to be a detective, I just said, oh, interesting. <laughs> I knew she had to be something. Um, there was another use of austere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just put a crying laughing face when Baxter fell down the stairs. <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> it was it was more of the, the language. He took the entire staircase in one majestic volplaning sweep. So I just I put a crying laughing face. Um, also, when he got up and he was going out to the terrace, Baxter girded up his pajamas and galloped out into the night. And I said, this is a hilarious mental image. <laughs> Especially when we then discover his pajamas are lemon yellow. And when he tries to go back inside and the front door is locked and the lights are off, uh, I did say poor Baxter because I, it just feels like they're really piling on now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like, I mean, no, I wouldn't want to be near the guy, but. Can't help but sort of feel It's bad. getting piled on. Yeah. And... <laughs> um, Stop, he's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then when Emsworth wakes up and he, he has a. He's confused, understandably. He said, as a rule, people did not fling flower pots through his window at four in the morning. And I was just like, yes. Fair. Fair. And <laughs> when Emsworth sees that it is Baxter, he said that Baxter should be so irresistibly impelled by his strange mania as actually to admit to attire himself decently before going out on one of these flower pot hurling expeditions of his seemed to make it all so sad and hopeless. And I just said, again, he has a point. <laughs> he couldn't even get dressed. He had to go out in pajamas. Um, and the thing is, Baxter is in the right. <laughs> I guess. I mean, he he's trying to catch a thief. There yes. was a thief. Yes. He's suspicious of Smith. There's reason. Yes. I mean, but he's, he's doing the right thing the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> and then my last note for this chapter was when Smith is getting ready to go down to talk to Baxter. He says that he had a hurried cold bath. And Oh, Jesus. <laughs> And I said, Smith is the one person who deserves a cold bath. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to let that sit there and move on. And, and now we're back almost immediately. Well, they're not going to know that we took a break. <laughs> no, I'm just going to put two hours of song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chapter 12, which is a short one. Joe talks to Freddie and Eve separately to find out what happened. Baxter wakes to find a note and a check notifying him that his services are no longer required. Peavy and Coots talk about what happened. Smith and Eve come by and Peavy questions them and thinks Eve was the one who got the necklace. Smith takes Eve to the cottage. She looks around and sees the flower pot. He says he doesn't really like it and will likely throw it away. 
She says she'll, she'll take it. He tries to talk about marriage again, saying that he could do card tricks and imitate catcalls. Not the first or last time this will come up. Although I, I believe that's the first time it's come up for Smith. Yeah. Okay. Eve leaves with the flower pot to discover that the necklace is not in it. He's just like gaslighting her. So I only have one note for this chapter. And it's when, you know, Smith is spouting about his many talents. Uh, and Eve is having none of it. And he, she pretty much said she wants to she's going to leave. She wants to be alone. And he says, alone? When you have the chance of being with me? This is a strange attitude. And <laughs> my note was just, ugh. <laughs> He's the worst. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you were reading this last night around 7.30 or so. No, it was probably closer to 7. Yeah. Chapter 14. Chapter 13 is a pretty long chapter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was probably reading this around 6.30 or 7, and so, yeah, you could see it on my face. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore! Stop making me! <laughs> this is literally looking for any reason to stop reading. Dad stayed up until I finished the I book. Because otherwise, Robin will be like the next morning. No, I stopped pretty much as soon as you went to bed. <laughs> I still have a little bit left to read. <laughs> then I'd be stressing out all day. About it. <laughs> but yeah, you were like looking for any excuse. You're like, I'm gonna pick a mini fight with Chris about something silly, and I don't remember what it was about. It was about the blanket on the couch. He stole the blanket. <laughs> My husband stole the blanket that I was literally using. I mean, he he was on it first, and you went over and took his place. Because I needed the phone charger. <laughs> you couldn't have moved the phone charger? No, it doesn't stretch that far. And it's plugged into the couch. You have strange furniture. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's fair. <laughs> it's literally plugged into the couch, I can show you. <laughs> I, fine, I mean... <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> let's get an insight into uh, our family relationships. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, for uh, as long as the next chapter is, I only have two notes. Well, that's that's I asked you last night. Do you really have any notes? Because I do, but two. It, I think it's I think it's hard for me to have a lot of notes on like the very much like action based scenes. Like while this isn't action, like it, it moves faster than a lot of stuff. Okay. But the thing is, is if you don't have notes, I need you to comment. On I do comment on stuff. I'm going to kill you. You made me read this book, <laughs> and now you're like, you're not doing enough. I you agreed to do the podcast with me. And I'm doing it. This will be our final podcast. <laughs> Read, father. Chapter 13. Eve is pretty upset. Freddie comes up and she talks to him about his plan to steal the necklace. She says that during the ball, she and Freddie are going to burgle the cottage. There's a ball going on. I didn't have to mention that. <laughs> Just the, during the random ball that yeah. has not been mentioned so far. 
Freddie explains that he hired Smith and Eve is disbelieving about the story of him being friends with Mike. Uh, Smith, not Freddie. As far as I know, Freddie and Mike have not met. We don't know because we've seen the last of Mike in this book. So, hmm. Freddie and Eve search the cottage but don't find anything. They decide to search. Yeah, I guess they. This this chapter was a little bit confusing. I guess they searched like the main room of mm-hmm. the cottage, but there's like an attic and other parts of it. So yeah, Eve go, goes into the cellar since Freddie is nervous about cellars, which apparently is basically a crime and somebody who wants to propose to you. I don't know. He no, he's nervous about beetles in oh, the cellar. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we can see, lots of people are nervous about beetles. <laughs> They're surprising. Beetles will attack you, apparently, or at least English beetles. You in, yeah. your, in your shirt. <laughs> as she is beginning to search other rooms, she hears a cough and sees Smith. Smith has put Freddie in another room with the fear that if he steps out, he might be shot. Seems a little extreme. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Just, just seems like an overreaction. He, he's gaslighting Eve. He's lying. Yeah. Freddie. I mean, she asks his real name and he says, Ronald Eustace Smith. If you recall, it used to be Rupert, but apparently Woodhouse felt there could not be two Ruperts in this book. And as we do not see Smith again, after this, I guess he decided to let Baxter keep Rupert. <laughs> Since we do see him again mm. many times, to be fair. Okay. <laughs> it, it, he's not necessarily as Lord Emsworth's secretary, but mm-hmm. we can see him. <laughs> he talks about Mike, and she still doesn't believe him. And he mentions recently working in the fish business, and then she remembers Phyllis talking about that. She asks for the necklace, and Smith goes to a stuffed bird and removes the necklace, which is when Coots makes his presence known. He's there with the pistol. Peavy gets the necklace, and then they do the classic mistake of continuing to talk when they really should just hit the road. Everybody loves to monologue. Well, yeah. Smith asks if they are married, and they say that they soon will be. All of a sudden, there is a sound of a crash as Freddy has fallen partially through the rotted floor above. This surprises Coots, who mistakenly discharges the shot. <laughs> Freddy, thinking it's Smith, pulls his leg up quickly. Smith steps forward and hits Coots with a chair, knocking his pistol out of his hand, which Smith picks up along with his own revolver, so that he is now holding two guns. He tells Peavy to hand over the necklace, but she calls his bluff. He says he will shoot Coots if she doesn't. She hesitates and Coots grabs the necklace and tosses it to them. Eve picks it up and Peavy and Coots leave. Smith and Eve agree to marry. Oh boy. They talk about releasing Freddy but aren't in any hurry to do so. Poor Freddy. And another instance of poor Freddy is when Eve and Freddy go to find the necklace she gets very irritated with him um, while they're searching for his perfectly valid reactions. And Woodhouse points out 
The fact was that the Honorable Freddy belonged to that unfortunate type of humanity, which automatically gets blamed for everything in moments of stress. Which, truer words have never been said. (laughs) I I do say that Eve and Smith are pretty much right for each other. Although, okay, not really, because Smith is much worse than Eve. Yeah. But they're both not great people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My other note for this chapter is that there's the final use of the word austere. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that you are keeping track of it. And I'm just like, I notice it, and then I forget to you, note it. You pointed it out, and now it's all I can see. <laughs> um, which brings us to so four, four, four. I'm honestly, I bet there are more. Those are probably just the ones that you noted. In, I mean, yeah, I might have missed them. Yeah, I was reading it very in depth, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it took me so long. <laughs> you gonna read the last chapter? No, well, I didn't know if you didn't say. That's all I have. I told you I only had two notes. Yeah, but that was before the chapter, and I forgot. <laughs> it's always great when you get two people with ADD doing podcasts. <laughs> and like then we start talking, and you know, my short-term memory went what? <laughs> <laughs> chapter fourteen, the final chapter. <laughs> Great. Now we're, <laughs> now we're going to get blocked. <laughs> Joe has written to Phyllis, letting her know she will get the money. Constance is berating Lord Emsworth for letting Baxter go. Baxter comes to say goodbye and give Emsworth an opportunity to beg for him to stay. But Emsworth is more than happy to see him off. Baxter tells him McCod is actually a criminal. Baxter leaves and Smith comes in to see Lord Emsworth, who tries to tell him what Bax- that Baxter says that he is not McDodd. Smith freely admits he is not. He explains he did so to not leave Emsworth a poet short, and then talks Emsworth into giving and then talks Emsworth into giving him the job as his secretary. Freddie talks to Smith about Eve and Smith <laughs> and Smith does his dickish best to say no. He is the one to marry her. And that's that's it for Smith. No more Smith for us, except for the book that we skipped reading and that we'll have to read in March or April or so. I will say, I don't think Smith is necessarily... Smith is Smith, but the people that he's hanging around with are worse people. Oh. Well, that sounds worse. Well, he's he's an American in this one. And there are gangsters. Oh, he's in America in this one. I know you said he's an American in this one. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he could be in America for all we know, and this is just something he does to, to mess with people. Well, that would, would make sense. Okay. So do you have notes on this chapter? Yes. Um. So my note was Lord Emsworth, you know, after Baxter has said, like, hey, he's a criminal or whatever. And characters. not McCod, who is a poet. And <laughs> too many characters. Um, Emsworth has a thought that he he shrank from the thought of arresting Smith. It seems so deuce unfriendly. And I was like, well, that's fair. It it is unfriendly. Well, I mean, that is something that Freddie and Lord Emsworth have in common. They don't really want to be involved with anything unpleasant. I do have one final note, sort okay. of. 
it's also a, a conversation starter okay question so okay at the end yes baxter is fired yes smith is lord emsworth's new secretary yes and yet there are more blandings castle books and you said this is the last appearance of smith so yeah. i'm confused well it's very simple smith is never alluded to again it's not even mentioned that he has been a secretary <laughs> uh the next blandings castle book or the next blandings castle book i believe is actually a short story collection but the next i don't i believe baxter is still the secretary in there because it's like previous stories mm -hmm. but the next novel has a different secretary no mention at all of smith at all but baxter is mentioned and i believe baxter appears in it too yeah so he's just he's gone i mean on one hand that's relieving on the other hand it's like it happened in an alternate universe kind of see i have a lot of pop culture references i could make for you sure but i don't think you would understand them <laughs> because i'm much older than you but i could say oh well it's like the west wing in season one mandy was there and then season two she was gone and no mention of her was ever made again in the west wing hmm. or dallas the show or the show okay it, it's just like they just said oh this entire season was a dream oh sure nothing gonna happen like the last season of roseanne yeah yeah kind of like that and and it wasn't so much that it didn't happen it's just like we, we don't talk about that yeah i i was kind of thinking of like it's like i granted i haven't really watched back in the back to the future or yes. at least not for a very long time yes but it's like if you go back or forward i guess you change something and then you go back to where you started and everything's different and then well if you go backward and change something yes yeah but everything's different and then you're like oh yeah. shit well, i have to go fix this so then you go back again fix it and then come back and everything's the same so there's alternate universe well, you could get into some <laughs> deep metaphysical, like Avengers, oh, like sure. breaking timelines, multiverse thing there. But uh, yeah, it's just that. Yeah, he's just never mentioned again, which is it. It is a bit weird because, yeah. like, okay, Birdie's not mentioned like in ed any other series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Birdie's. Uh, publishing career lasts pretty much from, from 1916 mm -hmm. to the 1970s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Smith, 1923, done. Done. Woodhouse publishes for over 50 years after that. No more Smith. When you put it that way, it does really sound like because Mike and Smith was what 1910. Yeah, 1909, I believe. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Smith in the City was 1910. Okay. Then Smith Journalist was 1915. Okay. And then this one in 23. Yeah. So it does sound no, like... No short stories. Yeah. It does sound like over the span of 14-ish years, Woodhouse wised up, realized his character sucks. Well, what I'm wondering <laughs> is because generally... 
his school story characters mm -hmm. like kind of pop in and out of all the school stories novels mm -hmm. but i don't recall seeing them in any other books like sure. in the future yeah so i guess was it a conscious decision on his part that any character that was in the school stories mm -hmm. he's just done with maybe i i don't know yeah but i don't really recall any other basically anybody who was in a school story at the beginning like between what 1902 i think mm -hmm. 1910 or so mm -hmm. i don't recall any of them appearing in future stories now i like love among the chickens which we're going to be reading in a few months i think mm -hmm. was written or was published in 1906 but there are school characters in it and the, the character of eucridge appears in future stories hmm. he wasn't a school story character. yeah yeah so i don't recall when i read his biography if there was really any mention of any conscious decision on his part just to move past these characters mm -hmm. what but yeah it is a little bit surprising yeah because it's not like the characters of the plot hunters mm -hmm. who weren't really big characters. yeah they didn't do Whether much you like them or not, yeah it was a pretty prominent character mm -hmm. and then 1923 done writes for over 50 more years i don't know i kind of like the idea that he just got sick <laughs> he just got like wise to like what a shitty character yeah. it was and, and just stopped <laughs> and the rest of the blandings castle novels do kind of continue to reference its past yeah although i will say they don't talk much about previous secretaries mm. except for baxter sure yeah so yeah. I, I mean, it could be like the Spinal Tap drummer. It's just replace him once he dies. And <laughs> I'm just really all over the place with pop culture. You really are, there. and you're not pulling any out that I really yeah. understand. <laughs> like, I, like, I kind of... Yeah. The only thing I know the only thing I know about Spinal Tap is turning up to 11. Like, yeah. that's really it. Uh, apparently, <laughs> Spinal Tap just goes through drummer quite a bit. Oh, okay. Usually, I believe with them meeting a unfortunate end yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't really have a lot of references that maybe you <laughs> i will probably think of one like in three or four hours i was like oh it's like this and you're like yeah i'm done yeah, yeah i'm not gonna record just Let's another record clip so I can plug it back in <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna do that <laughs> now that that hellscape is over oh do you have any other <laughs> I wanted to get away from it. Commentary <laughs> about it before we leave it, because our podcast is about this book right I've now. I've talked about this book. You give a no. Do I really have to say that I didn't enjoy it? Pretty much what I decided on was, yes, Smith is god-awful, and everything about him is torture. And... I enjoy the Blanding's Castle cast so much that it almost balances out. Yeah, that that's actually what bothers me more is going back into realizing how little. Yeah, and so for like, because I use Copile to figure out my rankings, 
And for character, you, every category you rank one to ten. For char- for character, I gave it a five. For and that taking it down five was pretty much Smith. And the only saving grace was pretty much Lord Emsworth, Baxter, and Freddie. Yeah. Um, and the little bit of Mike we got. <laughs> and, and honestly, that was just nostalgia because he doesn't really do. A lot. He doesn't like, do it like, all. Hey, although, hey, although he did call Smith an yeah, ass, it, which I appreciate. That's like, yeah. So, it, and I think part of it was just that, like, I had gone into it with the hope that that the Blaney's Castle cast would sort of counterbalance Smith. Yeah. And now, just because they're not in there that often, that didn't happen. <laughs> I will say that all the Blaney's Castle novels after this are definitely mm-hmm. Blaney's Castle. Yeah. And I actually think they add characters, improve it. Although I will say that there are probably a few that are going to annoy you. Maybe not as much as Smith. I'd be honestly surprised if anyone annoyed me as much as Smith. There, there's, and he has his own series too. I, was, I, I said before that series don't mix, and they really do because mm. there's Uncle Fred, okay, who kind of has his own series, and also is mm. in a few Blanding's Castle, okay. But he doesn't dominate it like Smith does. Yeah, it. yeah. It, it's it's more an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't particularly like uncle fred okay but i think i think the main thing though is that there's a difference in me not liking a character like yeah i don't like like some of birdie's friends but i would never want to punt them into the sun like i do smith <laughs> like there there is a difference and i think it's just the way in which i don't like smith because he is so pretentious and he is so manipulative that I'm just like, okay, no, I cannot tolerate you even a little bit. Yeah, I think Smith is like this special vortex <laughs> of all these bad things. Yeah. Like, there are other characters like Eucharist and Uncle Fred who are mm-hmm. irritating. But, like like I said before, Eucharist sometimes gets his. Sure. Smith doesn't really get he his. He gets everything that he wants. Yeah. He's and, the epitome of a Gary Stew, just with all bad qualities. Yeah, like Birdie's friends are often awful, mm-hmm. but they're, they're not presented as, like, this kind of somewhat hero type. Yeah, yeah. You you're you done talking about this novel? I just really want to be done with it, Dad. <laughs> like I really wish this was, this was the last myth that we were reading, and the fact that I know in like five months I have to read another one is really upsetting. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about it because I thought that you would like this one more, but then I read the book and then I was like, oh no! <laughs> you're like, oh no, Robin's going to hate it more. <laughs> well, yeah, because like I said, when I read it. It was after I read all the Jeeves and Worcester, and then I did the Blanding's Castle. Yeah. So I hadn't encountered Smith before. Yeah. And then I go, oh, yeah, Robin's not going to be happy. No. <laughs> like, it, it took me so long to read this book. I think you may actually, I won't say like, but I think you'll be more okay with Smith journalists because you're not really expecting 
as much from it as you might have been expecting oh, here. Oh, because I'm expecting it to be awful, it won't bother me as much when it's awful? Uh, I, I think so. Okay, that's I guess that's fair. There's also, there's... My expectations are lower. <laughs> there's more Mike than this novel, but not a lot more. Ugh, I miss Mike. I, I think that was a mistake also yeah. on Woodhouse's part. Yeah, like, Mike is... I think I might have been better, and I'm sorry, I'll let you say that after I move this out. Okay, so if I remember it. Yeah, I think Mike as an adult would be good with Smith. Sure. Because he kind of knocks him down the size mm -hmm. a little bit like he did in this novel. Mm -hmm. And I think removing him slowly was a mistake. Yeah, I was going to say that I felt like Mike was... And could have been Smith's like redeeming feature. Like, yeah, he's a massive asshole, but he has this great cinnamon roll as a best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and like they kind of balance each other out. But because pretty much after Mike and Smith and Smith and City, like even that, you know, the fade out of Mike had started yeah, already. Yeah. Mike and Smith, Mike was still the main character. Mm -hmm. Smith and the City, they're kind of main characters, but Mike was also still technically a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And I think an adult Mike would have been good yeah. with Smith. Although I'm also just, I'm fine with Smith just not appearing in any <laughs> Yeah, way. just, I just want more Mike. That's pretty much yeah. what it boils down to. I want Mike more. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will probably have to research this before our next podcast okay. just so I can know, but I, I have to think that Woodhouse just said, "No, I'm not doing any more school story characters." Yeah. And yeah, which I guess I understand, but also, I I don't know really where else you could go with Smith. I mean, you could put him in a fire. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. To yeah, me. that'd probably be a short book. <laughs> right, even better. <laughs> A short book where it's just Smith dying painfully. You <laughs> just want like a eulog video of Smith. Just... That'd be great. <laughs> okay, so we're done talking about the novel. You were going to say something else before I pulled it back to the novel. Oh, I was going to ask if you wanted to tell them what we're reading that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was like, which <laughs> I was is... like, I sure would. <laughs> I'm like, I remember the title. Do it you? is The Little Nugget, <laughs> uh, which I've never read myself, so this will be a new book for us. Although, the character who's called The Little Nugget in here, I've read about him in another book, but it was a book that was written after this book, so I'm kind of going backward. <laughs> but it's all of Robin's favorite things. Child kidnapping. Oh, let's not say that's one of my favorite things. <laughs> I mean, you wanted us to do it tonight, but I was like, we have to record the podcast. What are you looking at me like that for? <laughs> You're trying to perpetuate this idea that I'm like a criminal. And I don't know where you got that idea. You wanted to dig up a man's grave. To yell at him. It's still a crime. <laughs> I thought only grave robbing was a crime. I'm not robbing. I'm not taking anything. I'm just yelling. I mean, if there are any <laughs> licensed attorneys listening to this, <laughs> you can provide feedback. But I feel pretty secure in saying that the actual digging up of the casket is a crime. I don't think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> 
one, that's not your property that you're digging up. You just can't go and and dig up property. <laughs> you can't go to like the park down the road and just start <laughs> digging up and just say to the police officer, I didn't do anything. All I did was dig it up. <laughs> it's still ground. I mean, you could do that. I don't think it would turn out well for you. <laughs> Anyway, so yes, we <laughs> we are uh, going to be reading the little nugget. Uh, I do not know yet if we're going to be doing that one together at Christmas because I'm at Robin's for Thanksgiving. Robin will be at my place for Christmas. It honestly, it kind of all depends on Robin's school schedule. So, how so? Well, because if you don't have enough time to read it, I mean, I'll have her read by hopefully the 27th okay i'm just saying another pop culture reference we got charlie brown and lucy <laughs> in the football here <laughs> i mean i don't know how many books in a row you've said i'll get it read in time and you like do i, I have gotten it read every single time <laughs> But Dad like, keeps trying to to make this point of like I'm Lucy with the football and just making him think we're gonna do something that we don't. But we stresses me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I stayed up last night? Because I was like, I gotta make sure she finishes. Stayed it. up. I finish at eight oh nine. I go to bed early. <laughs> In last last book, you finished like five minutes before we started the podcast. Literally, and how many book club books do you like? Uh, I should finish it before the book club tonight, you know, like three or so. <laughs> <laughs> I finished this one early, yeah. And I'm usually like, Oh, I got a book club book or I got a podcast book, I'll read it three weeks beforehand. Yeah, that's, that's too early. I'm not gonna remember anything. I'm kind of worried about if I'll remember anything for this book club. <laughs> Oh, I'm just going to be quiet because I'm going to be the person who liked it the least. But that's the book. That <laughs> we're, it's, like, it's not a Woodhouse book. It's we not a Woodhouse book. Uh, so, yeah. And, of course, we will have more books in the future. I don't have one in front of me right now. I do know March, April, we have Smith Journalists. We should have another G's and Worcester book coming up in the next few months or so. So... I think we have another school story book. Uh, actually, I'm going to look at the schedule real yeah, quick. Yeah, I was like, you you have the schedule. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, uh, December is uh, The Little Nugget. January is Love Among the Chickens. Oh, okay. So uh, I think you will like that, although <laughs> I don't think you'll particularly care for Eukage. Oh, then it's a uh, damsel in distress, which is another standalone novel. Then a prefix uncle, which is another school story. Okay. And then the the last Jeeves short story collection, very okay. good Jeeves. Okay. And then we have another uh, Blanding's Castle, Summer Lightning, and then Smith Journalist. So hold oh, okay. on, let, let's see. That sounds like the May or June. Yeah, let's see. Uh, June for Smith Journalist. So okay, you you have like seven months. Like, I'll, I'll have you know a bit of a <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you're gonna like a prefect's uncle because it's a school story. <laughs> sure, yeah. And I've read it before. I don't think you'll like it. Okay, <laughs> but but again, there's a difference. But it's also very short. 
Oh, great. But so was the pot hunters. <laughs> yeah, and that still took me like a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Happy New Year, I guess, since this will probably go on the 1st of January. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Happy New Year. <laughs> um, and we will see you next month. With, with a little nugget. little nugget. Thank you for listening. Tally-ho. Where's she, Callie? You know, around.